Welcome to The Milk Check, a podcast from T.C. Jacoby & Company, where we share market insights and analysis with dairy farmers in mind. Welcome, everybody, to the August version of The Milk Check. Today, we're going to have an old-fashioned market discussion. We have with us Josh White, Diego Carvalho, Joe Maxner, Jacob Menji, and I. So, guys, I thought I'd start this conversation simply by mentioning the post that I just put on LinkedIn, and you guys can tell me what you think of the post and if you think you agree with me or maybe where I'm wrong. So it's the middle of August. It's hot outside. You're seeing 100-degree temperatures all over the country. The milk supply is tightening as a result. Schools will start up soon. So demand has picked up a little bit. The cheese market has popped, improving Class 3 prices, and most of our other markets are starting to look like the bottoms are in. Does that mean the remainder of the year will be positive for dairy farmers? My hunch is that domestic demand will not be good enough to sustain decent milk prices. I see subtle signs everywhere. Very few of our domestic customers are giving us glowing sales reports. Most are using descriptions like average at best or slightly under budget. And while Mexico continues to be optimistic, our Asian customers are using words like depressing and even horrific to describe their sales. So even though milk production may turn negative year over year in the coming months, I just don't see enough positive demand to be bullish milk prices between now and the first half of 2024. Guys, am I being too bearish? Josh, what do you think? Just talking to different people, I would echo what you mentioned. I had a few calls where people have said to date, their overall demand has been lackluster. Their coverage going forward is taking into consideration some of that uncertainty about their demand. But we're starting to notice a few more transactional type, a little bit more transactional type business happening in the recent weeks that at least leads me to believe that the forward coverage isn't as strong as everyone thought from these type of companies. So what you mean by that is maybe the spot purchasing needs of some of the big buyers out there domestically between now and the end of the year may actually be a little bit stronger than it has been so far. I don't know that I'm predicting it, but I think it, there's a real opportunity for that. The thing that I think is a bit of a black box still to this conversation is U.S. demand. And I think, you know, you mentioned it in your LinkedIn post, Ted, but I think that's really the key here is that U.S. demand piece. Because if you look at equity markets, for example, the U.S. seems to be the favored child in the world right now, where our markets are humming along, you know, we're having the soft landing. Meanwhile, Europe, specifically the U.K., seem to be on the brink or in a recession. And so, again, Will this kind of fiscal strength and equity, you know, strength we've seen on the equity sides carry over into our household purchasing and as such mean we have good demand in the U.S.? I think it remains to be seen. We've seen a number of arguments be made that the decent demand we've had so far this year is going to kind of falter in Q4. I think I might be in that camp. But if it doesn't, you pair decent demand along with a contracting supply, you know, and especially if what Josh alluded to comes true, you have, you know, multi-nats come in and, and do some buying on products here or there. That would be the bull case, I would argue. So we talked about on the domestic supply side, even if we're flat to lower on domestic supply, which considering dairy farmers are definitely losing money, I think that's what most people expect in terms of how it's going to play out for the remainder of the year. Even if cheese prices stay up here where they are right now, it's all about varying degrees. If the cheese market goes back down into the 150s, you may lose more milk than if it stays up here in the 180s, but your, your domestic supply is probably flat to lower for the remaining of the year. One of the things I'm hearing about the international market, and the statistic I heard was this, since 2020, so just the last three years, 
China has increased their milk supply from about 30 billion pounds to 37 billion pounds a year. Just to think about that in terms of relative metrics, the U.S., we produce about 200, 220 billion pounds of milk a year. So 7 billion pound increase over three years is 4%, roughly, 3.5% of the U.S. milk production. It happens to be almost 100% of Australian milk production. You know, it's a big number. And I wonder how much of that is affecting international demand and if it's going to if it's sticky, and if it's sticky, that we're going to continue to see poor international demand out of Asia for a little while, how much does the U.S. market need to contract? And do we think that's how it's going to play out? That's a tough one, Ted, uh, to be honest. Yeah, there, are, there. Are, I, I always treat the information coming out of China with, with a grain of salt. But as there are as many rumors of Chinese production moving higher, of Chinese production actually being impacted by the low margins. So yeah, probably last year they, they increased something close to 10%. But I think right now with the low margins and, and hot temperatures that they're experiencing right now, they could also be heavily impacted to the downside. They moved up really quickly, but we could see the, a, a similar reaction to the downside faster than maybe in the US as well. So hard to tell. But, but yeah, the, the, the number is uh, indeed uh, a, an impressive number. I am, and I think Josh would maybe disagree with me on this a little bit, but I am pretty skeptical that our problem, our problem being $17 to $18 milk, our issue with prices here can actually be solved with the supply side. I, I just do not see enough contraction be able to happen in a short enough period of time to actually stimulate prices to reach, you know, $21, call it, for a sustained period. I, I think really it's going to be a demand side that solves that. You know, you can just in the U.S., for example, kind of, this is a very rough estimation, but right, supply minus demand equals surplus product. And you can kind of estimate that with reports put out by the USDA. You know, for example, if you look at the dairy products report for cheese, you know, and you take out cold storage, you can come up with some kind of rough trend line on demand. And we are way off trend. You know, it, it's kind of been buried by a number of things. You know, I shouldn't say buried, but it's been overcast by things like international demand being terrible. But we're still off trend even in the U.S., I would argue. And so does that come back? Without it, I just do not think we can get enough supply contraction to actually turn things around. How do we end up with stronger demand with more with more supply scheduled to come online on the class three side in the next two years? That's a fair point. We're going to have more, we're going to be making more cheese, but we're not going to be making more milk. And so that milk is coming from somewhere else. We obviously know it's going to probably continue to climb from class one because the key class one continues to decline, but it's also probably going to come from class four. That was why I led into that question, because there's your contraction on the supply is it put, gets pulled out of class four and that will ultimately tighten up to non-fat and the butter piece. I, I think the kind of cop-out answer is global economic cycles, right? I just don't think you can, that there's a magic bullet here. Until we start seeing turnarounds on employment and other things internationally, again, this is not an issue we're witnessing in the U.S. When we see this turnaround internationally, though, I think there's your, your, your demand comes with it. If you're a dairy producer or a cooperative looking for a better market for your milk, 
or you're a food manufacturer hoping to strengthen your dairy procurement or risk management strategy, please reach out to TC Jacoby & Company. We've been building worldwide relationships with all sides of the dairy supply chain for over 75 years. Tap into our expertise for unlimited free consultative support, and we'll develop a sales or procurement strategy that hits all of your targets. Please visit us online at www.jacoby.com to get started. Thanks for listening to The Milk Check. Back to the show. If we're going to we're going to see a situation where dairy prices improve or milk prices improve for the dairy farmer. You break it down, it's got to come from three places. Increased international demand, we're pessimistic about that. Increased domestic demand, I'm pessimistic about that. Is there anybody who's more optimistic about that? The one place where I can see domestic demand improve is I think there's enough room for uh, skew prices for dairy products to come down and that may encourage at some point uh, some growth, but I don't think it, it's not a game changer. I mean, it's not going to create three, 4% growth in demand. It really ends up being on the edges. And as I think we've all seen being in this industry long enough, it tends to be clustered, which means, oh, hey, prices got lower, I'll buy more. But then that means the next month or the next two months down the road, they buy less. So the third is you lose enough supply to equilibrate the market. My fear is that means we're going to have to lose two to 3% right now. That's scary. And the only other possibility I can think of is input costs for the dairy farmer change, which means corn prices come down, soybean prices come down, cost of labor comes down. I don't think labor is going to come down. Is there any reason to think corn prices or feed prices are going to be coming down anytime soon? No, we, we've seen labor costs seem to be turning a corner right now. So I'm, I'm with you there. I, I just don't think you can have a big enough change on the input side to suddenly make $17, $18 milk, you know, work on a balance sheet these days. So let's just even say the supply side is kind of going to contract. Let's just write that off. That leaves us with the only variable left of U.S. demand, as you said, domestic demand. And I think right now, a middle-of-the-road approach is what's priced into the market. So if you surprise to the upside in Q4, you know that, that could change these markets. And, and conversely, though, if demand does end up being weak with you know student loan repayments happening coming up in October, and that might shock the system a little bit, then I would argue there's downside from the you know, $18 we've got priced in right now. I think I want to be real clear on something, though. It This is a bearish market. This is a bad situation. And I am also in that camp. What I'm looking for is what's going to change. And as we start to kind of dig into this, I think we still tend to paint the broad brush between supply and demand. And I think there's going to be some interesting variables that Joe's comment earlier got me thinking about as to the product mix. Because the product mix is a big contributor, not just domestically in the U.S., but in other parts of the world. The bearish powder environment right now is driven by weak Asian demand, and we all need that demand. There's kind of three variables driving a production response. There's temperature and seasonality, and that's clearly having an impact. There's the economics of producing milk, and we're clearly seeing calling at a high level and sustaining a high level but it really can't increase if I understand it right from here. We're 60, 65,000 dairy cows a week is about the maximum that we can process. So we're not going to see you know, a big jump there. And then, and then where is it happening and how is that impacting the products that we have? 
And we've had this discussion a few times this week that if a lot of the response is coming out of class four markets, does that alleviate some of the pressure to go out and chase the international sale today? And on the powder side, I guess I don't have the impression in the U.S. that we're busting at the seams. Cheese might be a different story. And so I really think that this is going to be an inequitable impact on the different products that are made from milk, particularly in the U.S. And I'm just not sure what that'll mean. So much of it is tied to logistics costs, too, because traditionally, the farther west you go, the cheaper the milk was. The farther east you go, the more expensive the milk is. The farther southeast you go, it's more expensive. But right now, the, the most expensive place to milk cows in the country is probably California. I think it's fair to say they're going to probably lose some milk supply. That's going to be primarily class four. Maybe that syncs up with the loss of Asia demand, but it also means you're losing butter fat. And we've been spending most of this time talking about our powder markets, which is kind of probably the more, most bearish part of our market right now, whereas butter is, has held up kind of nice. And you might actually tighten up the butter supply even more by, by losing milk in California. Yeah, I'm certainly not bearish butter. I'll go on record saying that. If we continue to contract in the state of California, it's only going to create more issues for butter pricing long term because that historically has been the area that has carried, for lack of a better term, the class four market for the second half of the year. So yeah, we continue to lose milk out west, that it'll have a ripple effect throughout the country on premiums for butter. We're kind of seeing it already. I mean, three months ago, if you would have asked me where the butter market was going to be at the rest of the year, I would say that the price we're at now is already the highs for the year. But at this point, kind of all bets are off. There's people out there saying we're going to go north of three bucks again before the end of this year. And while it sounds crazy, not too many moves when we have five, six, seven cent moves in a day. And as long as cream is trading at multiples north of 150, it almost has to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, meanwhile, on the cheese side, cheese prices got really low and then shortly after the 4th of July, you know, raced back up to uh, almost two bucks. I think we feel like they're a little bit too high now and will probably settle down a little bit, but they're not going to go all the way back down to the 140s or 130s. But I don't think we're going to average cheese prices between now and the end of the year that are above $18 and in a place where dairy farmers are making money. And so while we're better than we were, we're probably not good enough which means butter is going to be carrying the market. And it's just not a big enough part of our market to carry the whole market. No, but it eases the pain. Yeah, that's And fair. with that being said, though, since it's not a big enough player to carry the market, you'll still see the exits, which would make the case for an even stronger butter market next year, because we're going to be that much shorter milk and that much shorter cream. You know, one way you could look at this market right now, if you really wanted to kind of break it down, butter, we use 99 often 99.9% .9 of the butter fat we produce in this country internally. And if you consider that we import quite a bit of butter from Ireland, we were probably a net importer of butter fat. Cheese, I think we're up to the point where we export somewhere between 6 and 8% of our cheese production a year. It's, it's a growing percentage. It's not a small percentage, but it's still over 90% of the cheese we produce we use domestically. Powder, on the other hand, is the market where we export over 70% of our nonfat. We probably export over somewhere around 50-50. And that's the market because the exports are the biggest source of our demand issues right now. That's the product mix that easily feels the heaviest and the longest right now and where we're most bearish. 
And when you're exporting 18% of your milk production, and dairy is a relatively inelastic market where one and 2% increases or decreases in demand have a major effect on price, that's a big pill to swallow. And, and I think if we wanted to sum up what's going on in the market right now, we, we sum it up right there. Domestic demand isn't great, but the real source of the problem right now is international demand. Fair? That's a fair way to put it. My following question was going to be, how long is this going to last on the international side? And that's probably one of the toughest things to analyze right now. But I'm certain of the opinion that uh, we're probably at the, at the point of the most bearishness uh, right now. And, and will probably be for the next couple of months. New Zealand, in my opinion, is sending a clear signal that they're front-loading all of their supply and they're trying to find the bottom. They want to find the bottom. They want to find the price where customers actually step in, where they create demand and where they find a market that they can find balance, basically, and build from that up. So uh, it seems like we're going to find that bottom soon and next year is going to be a year where we slowly grind up, or at least that's a 10,000-foot view or, or forecast of what I'm expecting. Well, and I think that makes sense when we keep in mind that the New Zealand flush, the Oceana flush, happens in what October. So we're building up to the biggest time of the year in terms of milk production in the Southern Hemisphere. And so they, they're kind of desperate at this point because they export over 90% of their milk production. So they have to find the market and they're going to find it right now, which, as you said, Diego, is, is creating an environment that feels really bearish internationally. But it also means... Well, probably sometime in the next two months we find it and we'll see what exactly. we're from there. And to add to all of the market fundamentals, something that we cannot forget is that China is going to start importing New Zealand Oceania product with no tax starting next year. So that's creating a huge incentive for all of the importers and distributors in China to, you know, to kick the bucket a little bit down the road and not buy right now, but to buy maybe in December. So that adds to a point that I mentioned before that we're probably at the point of, of biggest bearishness. So to summarize, we've got some optimism in butter. Cheese has popped, but is probably peaking right now, and we think it'll settle back down a little bit. But the real problem is in the nonfat side. The real problem is in our dairy ingredients side, because that's the part of our industry that's most dependent on exports, and the export market is what's really driving the biggest problem we have. And the best opportunity for us to increase prices to the dairy farmer will be if we see the export market pick up. We welcome your participation in the Milk Check. If you have comments to share or questions you want answered, send an email to podcast at jacoby.com. Our theme music is composed and performed by Phil Kagey. The Milk Check is a production of T.C. Jacoby & Company.